welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're going to feature Bobby Broom. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode 16. We are so excited that you're joining us here for another edition of High Action. We have a really cool guest today. Um, really excited for you guys to check out this episode. The great Bobby Broom. Chicago-based guitarist is featured on the episode today. He was originally born in New York, and you'll find out a lot about his uh, beginnings of his career and the fantastic experiences that he's had along the way as one of the consummate premier jazz guitarists uh, in our field today. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you, John, about was as I was listening to Bobby in this episode, he talks so much about these opportunities that he got through sitting in. You know, this sort of long tradition that we've had in the jazz community, well, any uh, genre of music, but this idea that if you're an aspiring musician, you know, cats on the bandstand will say, yeah, come on up, try it out, you know, get in there, come on up, try out a tune. And I know if I've had some really important experiences that were involved around that, just being able to sit in. Do you remember a couple of your experiences from early on when cats let you sit in and it was a big deal? Oh my God, yeah, I would say that that was... My entire jazz education was sitting in with everybody in Portland, uh, Mel Brown's quartet, you know, having a residency four nights a week at Jimmy Max. He would always let the youngsters sit in at the 7.30 set before nine o'clock, before the, it was 21 and up, you know, and I feel so lucky to have had that because it's not really going on up there much anymore with right. the way, obviously right now we're not doing any live gigs, but um, yeah, getting to sit in with Mel and feel the mutual respect that like an elder musician who had, I mean, he's an icon. That guy toured with Diana Ross and mm-hmm. Jack McDuff. And he had a lot of respect for me as a 16 year old who was dedicating a lot of time at home to practicing every week and really preparing to go sit in. And yeah, I feel very fortunate and that that was really how I got my education in, in jazz was completely on the bandstand. And then I'd go home and work on the tunes every week that they would call the ones that I didn't know as well and transcribe and then go back and sit in the next week. It was, I feel very fortunate for that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it can be an intimidating thing, you know, especially like I remember coming to New York before I moved here and they were having the session at the Blue Note late night. And the way you would sit in there is nobody would even look you in the eye. You know, it was just like you had to hang all night. And then by like one or two in the morning, you know, if you knew the tune, you just kind of got up there, but nobody was asking you what you wanted to play. It was a little more hardcore in that way. Uh, Will, do you remember any sit-in moments where you were like intimidated or feeling like, oh man, I'm out of my league here? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if I sat in as much in high school, but definitely in the early college years, you know, even if it was like going to see Ron Ashtay play and he's like, hey, you want to sit in? And, and I hear myself play and then I hear him play and yeah. it gives you such real context of yeah. like, wow. So this is like a glimpse of the real difference between what he sounds like in a setting that he's been living in longer than I've been alive versus what I would sound like. Or sitting in with singers too. 
Yeah. And, and like having to accompany them on the spot. I mean, that's something we've all done a lot of is accompanying singers. And that's totally different skill than, you know, playing, playing instrumental necessarily being in the accompaniment role. So it's a, it's a teacher in itself. And I think you have to unpack a lot afterwards, right? Like do a debrief, you know? Yeah. You learn from the experience and that's what Bobby was talking about. He had these experiences where he was sitting in with cats coming up in New York, sometimes three, four nights a week, you know, and that's how you really learn the music the right way. It was just a pleasure to uh, get to interview him. Uh, hey, Will, one last question for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you have uh, any uh, shopping ideas for the holidays? Anything that you might recommend to our listeners? I good, do have good, some shopping ideas. Coffee actually, mugs, as, as, perhaps? As I was taking a sip of my coffee, I realized <laughs> I still haven't gotten the High Action Podcast coffee mug yet. And yeah. I'm going to do that literally right after this. Yes. I'm, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on that link tree located on the high, uh, high action Instagram page. Yeah. And I'm going to buy a coffee mug, might buy a little pick holder. Yeah. Uh, maybe buy a shirt, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So th- that's what I'm going to do. And I can think of a number of people that would love that yeah. as a Christmas gift. That was a terrible endorsement. We're going to have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we make. A- will do. We make him do all the shameless plugs. That's, that's right. The, that's the best we can get out of him these days. No, I'm just joking. I'm kidding around. Okay. Uh, that's the shirts are that. nice, though. They're they're Hanes tagless shirts, and they're really comfy. I, I got mine in the mail this week. I I actually do recommend pick up a T-shirt and pick up a coffee. The mugs are really great, high quality. Check them out. Yeah, yeah, really yeah our, our Teespring. So for you listeners out there, you want to get some gifts for your relatives, can't go wrong with a high-action coffee mug. And uh, We really want to thank our patrons. Um, people following us on Patreon. You guys have been amazing. We've got new exclusive content coming out there each week. So if you're a fan of the podcast and you want to support New West and kind of see behind the curtain, check us out on Patreon. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the wonderful Bobby Broom. Yeah, nice. hey, you know, it, it's been up since August, actually. No, you got the Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get the year done. Just trying to get through to the, you yeah. know, figured yeah. I'd put it up. I got the train sets going. I mean, I'm all set now, man. Yeah. Yeah. I wake up on January 1st and and it's January 1st, 2020. <laughs> no, no. This <laughs> year. We just watched that. We just watched it the other day. This, this, this year has got to go in the books. We got to move on to 2021. Please. And, and for the listeners, we're, we're excited now. We've got the great Bobby Broom joining us on the podcast. Bobby, welcome to High Action Officially. It's a pleasure to have you join us this Thank evening. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me. And I wish the listeners could see that John has a wonderful Christmas tree in the background. Maybe we'll get a snapshot of that for the Instagram. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> let's get into this. We do not want to waste any more time here. Bobby, thank you for joining us here. Uh, for the listeners, if you don't know about Bobby Broom, he's one of the most important figures in jazz guitar today. We share a common bond with Bobby for the great amplifier company, Henriksen, which we all work with. And uh, yeah, Bobby, we're just excited to kind of 
dive into some of your music, dive into your career a little bit. And um, I wanted to begin uh, by asking you, I know you were born in New York City. I currently live in New York City um, in the wonderful borough of Brooklyn. One of the questions I like asking some of the cats on the podcast is about their earlier teachers, because I think we all kind of have this tradition as guitar players where there was somebody, whether it was like a band director or a family member or someone that kind of got us into the guitar and specifically this incredible music of jazz kind of opened that door for us. And as I was doing some research, I, I knew that you started studying at the age of 12 with a gentleman named Jimmy Carter. Now, I'm assuming that's not the former president, <laughs> but I, I, was, I was curious to ask, could you tell us a little bit about who Jimmy Carter was to you? Okay, well, actually, that's kind of a, a, a mashup of uh, the information. I mean, I appreciate you finding it, first of all. But uh, so I did start playing when I was 12, kind of officially, you know, got the guitar, started taking some lessons. I was taking lessons with a folk guitar teacher okay, uh, named Aaron Foxman. This guy used to come to my house. Uh, once a week, and I loved his cologne. I remember that. Um, and we showed me, you know, the open position chords. You know, uh, first couple frets or whatever that is. And um, my intention was to strum and sing. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have any plan. I just wanted to play guitar. That was the thing. Uh, then my mom had the uh, bright idea that you know I should take some guitar lessons at, at the Carnegie Hall building. That was not all it was cracked up to be, put it I, that way. Yeah, I see. Um, yeah, so we had a, a laugh about that for the rest of her life. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so then came Jimmy Carter. So I was about 13. Uh, somebody suggested uh, him to my dad and said, you know, you should take your son to this guy. He lives up in Harlem. And, you know, maybe they'd seen him play somewhere. So Jimmy was not a full-time jazz guitarist he played on the weekends and you know probably whenever he could but he had a regular job until until he passed so i did i i knew hardly anything at that point but first of all the first tune he gave me to play with him for next week was let's stay together <laughs> nice. and i thought oh man i like this guy you know something yeah. i relate to something that I, you know, was on the radio or whatever. So I busted my tail to get that F bar chord on those first three, four, three, whatever they are, you know, that one, yeah. Yeah, that F chord on the, that kicked my butt all week, but I just wanted to get it so I could play chords behind him. Yeah. I, so I worked really hard to do that. So that was the thing about Jimmy was that, you know, he gave me a tune Every week it turned into, you know, jazz standards. I think maybe the next one was Satin Doll. And then we just went from there. He counted the tune off, play an intro, nod me in. He'd play the melody. I'd play the chords. He'd solo, just like a performance. Then yeah. he'd let me solo. And I don't know what I was doing, but I'm sure it was cringeworthy. And he <laughs> never, he never let on. He never made a face. He never made me. I mean, it was incredible when I look back at that. Incredible. Yeah. And um, I got to ask him about that in more recent years because um, we uh, we lost touch for many years. I'm talking about 20 years or something like that. And I kind of thought, I heard he moved to California and 
And then so so many years had passed, I thought, well, this guy's probably, he's probably moved on by now. You know, he was an old gentleman and just happened to be on the phone with the guy that we kind of grew up in the same band and took lessons from Jimmy and, you know, was a guitar player friend. And he called me randomly one day and we're just chatting. We hadn't chatted in, you know, a couple of decades. And he says, yeah, you know, every time I see Jimmy, he asks about you. I said, Jimmy, Jimmy who? Jimmy Carter. (laughs) I said, where's Jimmy? He said, it's the same apartment he had at 156th Street the whole time he's been there. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. It's got the same number. Oh, I'm man. like, get out of here. So I immediately called him and we just both sat on the phone like for about a good 30 seconds, just both of us in shock when I told him who was on the phone. And um, after that point, every time I came to New York to play, he was there. I got to ask him, hey, Jimmy, you know, like, I remember how bad I was. And like, how did you, why did you never make a grimace or nothing? And he says, well, I just, I felt like you were trying to get to something and I didn't want to step on you. That's a beautiful story. It really is. And, you know, part of it is reminiscent of sort of my early beginnings, getting into the guitar and getting into jazz uh, I grew up in California in the Bay Area, and I actually had a teacher whose name was Jimmy. His name was Jimmy Latrell. Uh-huh. And I remember the moment like it was yesterday in this guitar store in San Rafael where he was like, okay, let me show you this chord melody to Satin Doll. And I was like, Satin Doll? Does anybody play this tune? Right. Like, what, like is this really what I should be learning? And he, he leans over to the guy on, around the corner. And he's like, hey, Bob, does, does anybody know Satin Doll? And he's like, yeah. And so I said, okay, I'll try it. And it was just that one thing that got me hooked, you know, and then I was, and then I was into it, you know? And yeah. so I, I always love hearing about the, the early teachers that got people inspired into the music and into the guitar, because without those people, who knows where our careers go? You know, it's really, it's really that simple. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that really, I mean, so I emulated him for the two years that I studied with him. Mm-hmm. I think maybe, I, yeah, I stayed with him for about two years. And um, I just tried to copy everything he did. He played with his thumb, nice. all downstrokes. Nice. So you can imagine what that was like. I yeah. mean, he felt great, but it wasn't very much, you know, not, not a whole lot of notes happening. So for me, what I picked up on was his feel mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it, <laughs> you know? And so I was trying, I played with my thumb all down strokes. I was just trying to be like him. And um, at some point, uh, as I started to play with, with different people, whatever, somebody said, you need, you better get a pick boy. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not, gonna, yeah. you're not going to go very far with that thumb. Uh, and so I did. And I, so I just emulated him. I loved his stories about his gigs every weekend. He had yeah. a cool story, what happened. And I just sit there wide-eyed. He taught me, you know, like music theory and kind of a jazz um, way, so to speak. Like he'd say, spell a G7 sharp five flat nine chord. Nice. And I'd be sitting there like for 20 minutes, literally with one tear rolling down my face eventually, <laughs> like 10, 12 minutes, you know, my dad's in another room, probably yeah. shaking his head like this boy. <laughs> um, and, and that's how it was. You know, I learned about playing uh, for performing from yeah. studying with him, you know, it was like a learn by doing kind of situation. And every week 
without uh, fail, he would say, you got to listen to Wes Montgomery. Make sure you listen to Wes Montgomery. And I say, okay. And then when I left his house, whatever, man, I'm who? I wasn't interested in jazz other than him, other than Jimmy Carter. I was, and what we did, I was not interested in jazz. So, well, you were, you know, you were a young kid. You were digging the music of your time, of your generation, but this all did serve you very well because as I was able to find out, you went to uh, LaGuardia Arts High School, which I'm familiar with. I've taught some students that went there. That's still an amazing school and a resource for students here in New York. And um, there's a performance that you're listed as being part of uh, with Sonny Rollins and Donald Byrd at Carnegie Hall. And I'm kind of curious to ask you, like, so you're a young kid, you're a teenager, you're starting to see some success, you're starting to see the bright lights. Um, did you let it get to your head? Did, were you able to kind of keep a cool, composed manner about yourself? Or did you feel like your head was so blown up that, you know, you were all over the place? Talk a little bit about that time in your life. Blown up head? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, the absolutely not. I mean, so far from that. I was so innocent. I was so naive. I was just so thrilled to be... Okay, so this is what it was like for me. When I finally did get into jazz, it was because I heard it on the radio. And so it was Grover Washington Jr.'s hit, Mr. Magic, and Herbie Hancock's hit. So that uh, attracted my attention. I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute, hold up. If that's jazz, then maybe I do like jazz because it's funky and they're soloing. I kind of get what they're doing, but not really. But I... I, Mm -hmm. So... I went to the record store and I asked the guy, who does jazz on the guitar like Herbie Hancock and Grover Washington do? And he turned around and shuffled and came back around and boom, handed me this George Benson Bad yeah. Benson record. Yeah, that's right. And I took that yep. thing home. First of all, the cover was just, you know, yeah. affirming and uh, that I, I wanted to aspire just to look like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got the record home and mind blown. I mean, I didn't know that the guitar could be played that way with that freedom. It was like the decision was made right then. And so then I started to fi- try to figure out everything. Like who's who, how did this happen? What's going on? Oh, wait, Wes Montgomery influenced George Benson. Let me check out Wes Montgomery. Oh, wait. Oh, duh. Like yep. I should have listened to Jimmy Carter two years ago. Yep. And so... Started to connect the dots, going to the record store once a week, getting one or two records, however much allowance I could get from my, my dad, yeah. right? And putting it together. So at some point now, I'm enthralled in this music uh, and practicing. Um, no, no longer had a teacher. I was doing it all with the records and trying to figure it out. I had much music theory, so I knew music theory and I... Uh, I bought a lot of books and, you know, that didn't really go anywhere. But anyway, so at one point I was deep in the music now, maybe about 15. And it hit me one day like, dude, you're never, this isn't going to happen the way you would like, the way you dream. Like you want to be one of these guys. And this is over, man. They were doing this 1945 to like now, 1975. Yeah. And dude, you're like, 15, 14, 15, 
you're, they're adults. They're already doing it. You're not going to be able to do this. You were born a, a, a generation too late. And it was like very, very sad. But then I said, well, you know what? I don't care. I love this music. And I just want to be able to play. And I want to get good. And no matter what happens, I just want to be accepted into this imaginary club of musicians. Like if those guys could uh, uh, accept me, I want to be good enough that they would. And so once I kind of let go of the end result, right, you know, having any kind of fixed, it was just doing it because of the love, mm. then stuff started to happen. Like, oh, you know, the guy I was working with, the great Weldon Irvine, who was a great mentor of mine, mm -hmm. took me out to sit in one night. He says, you know, I was doing an off-off-Broadway play of his with, you know, oh, just some guys from my high school and guys neighborhood Poogee Bell on drums and Marcus Miller on, on the bass. Okay. You know, yeah. Some regular old guys in the pit. <laughs> so anyway, Weldon says, Hey, I'm going to call your mom. Tell her we're going to, I'm going to take you to sit in. And I'm like, okay. So I went to a pay phone, right? Oh, my mom, mom, well, Weldon's going to take me out to sit in. I'll be home at, you know, whatever, 1230, one, whatever. She's like, what's that? sit in what's that i said i don't know i'll tell you when i get back <laughs> so we go i like it walk up to the joint i look at the at the chalkboard or marquee or whatever it was and it's the al Haig trio and i'm like al Haig, wait that's the dude that played piano with charlie parker and so now i know about the music right, right, right. al let's lets the guitar player sit in but not the melodica player right well the <laughs> No to the melodica. <laughs> it was funny, man. He comes back to Weldon, comes back to the table, and I'm like waiting with bated breath. Like, what did he say? And he says, well, he said no to the melodica, but he said you could sit in. <laughs> so I don't remember what we played, but I don't know. And he says, hey, you know, you sound really good. And I do a regular steady um, three, four nights a week at, at a club on the Upper East Side called Gregory's. Feel free to come down whenever you feel like it and play and he should not have told me that because ah. they're like three at least three nights a week sometimes four that's and how you I, learn that's how you get it done yeah, you know? yeah i had my little midnight curfew so i'd you know hop in a cab at quarter to quarter to 12 and get back home you know homework was already done of course so you know it was like that so by the time i Got to do Sonny Rollins. It was a similar, um, and that was like all this happened in the same year. Wow. Um, and so from the play, same situation, somebody comes up to me afterwards. Oh, you sound really good. Yeah, you know, I play guitar. I play with Sonny Rollins. I'm like, oh, Sonny Rollins. One thing led to another. I wind up playing with Sonny. But for me, it was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm, get, I'm playing with these people. Like, how exciting is this? And like, just pure innocence. I was just happy to to be there and 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 make music and play my little solos and comp and you know. That's a beautiful thing. And um I'm so thrilled that you had this experience, that you're able to learn the music in the way that it's kind of always been passed on on the bandstand, which yes. I think really kind of gave you an incredible foundation that you've you know based much of your career from. Today's episode of High Action is sponsored by Henriksen Amplifiers. These guys are great. 
They're based out in Colorado in the Denver area, and they really build the guitar amplifier designed to meet the needs of the jazz guitar player. We're talking about people that want extremely high-quality sound in a portable package. Yeah, their amps are not that heavy, so you can carry them around at the gig, to your friend's house, wherever you're going. The keys to their success have been manufacturing in their own facilities, keeping their quality control as high as possible, using all analog designs to preserve tonal integrity, 100% commitment to the absolute best customer service in the industry. Believe me, we know these guys, they're great. So check out Hendrickson Amps if you want to get a good tone out of your guitars. served you so well early on to have these experiences after you attended Berklee School of Music and I think also Long Island University, you ended up working with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's a wonderful tradition, maybe the listeners might not know, but especially, you know, decades ago, I'm talking about more like in the 50s, 60s, even even beyond, maybe up until about the 80s, there was more of a tradition of the older cats on the scene, the established players kind of giving opportunities to younger cats. And, you know, I think you benefited from that with uh, Art Blakey, uh, as did uh, a trumpet player who you may know, uh, a gentleman named Brian Lynch. I don't know if your paths ever crossed, but yeah, I, met, yeah. I met Brian when I got to New York and he was one of those guys that was still trying to kind of carry that tradition and, and hire younger cats like myself to try to continue this tradition in jazz that is not as common anymore. So I wanted to ask you just about your experience with Blakey and whether or not you're trying to also continue that tradition of hiring younger cats. I mean, even just talking to us is part of that tradition. You know, you're, you're kind of helping us understand the music through your experiences as well. Well, yeah, it's wild how that happens. I used to always be the youngest guy in the band. <laughs> then all of a sudden... Not so much. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, I was just talking to a student about this the other day that um, it, it, that tradition of uh, apprenticeship and mentoring. And mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to think that that's all the way dead. I mean, it's it's just morphed into different forms. It's different. It's way different. It's not as, as prevalent, mm -hmm. uh, of course. Um, the, 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 the scene is different. The industry is different, uh, you know, so musicians don't have the same kind of control, but ultimately we do. Right. Uh, um, so I, I just think that that, that, that tradition is still held and it's, it's still uh, operational. It just looks different. And that's what I try to impart to students and just whoever asks. Um, okay, so it's a different era. Right. You know, we're not going to play with Blakey. No, the kids aren't going to play with Blakey. No. But they can play with somebody that played with Blakey. Right. Right? So that's how it continues, right? And that's what pe people have to realize. So we wind up um, idolizing certain people because of what, the industry does and you know it's like the history and blah 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 but mm -hmm. we have to look to the present and see that connection uh and maybe that's not what's being written yet right 
So just like that, you know, like most of those guys didn't know that they were making history when they made the when they made those records and were in those bands. Right. So I, I was fortunate to be asked to be a jazz messenger. That's how I look at that. And the, mm-hmm. although I declined the offer, um, which seems like what <laughs> wow, I didn't I didn't know. Okay, wow. I declined the offer. I mean, and I was deemed like officially by the man. You a jazz messenger now? Me <laughs> in the basement of McKell's. Wow. Um, yeah, and I was until I decided. Well, you know, eh, I think I want to go play in this band with this guy named Tom Brown, who you know is like all my buddies are kind of around this thing. Marcus and Omar Hakim and. Yeah. You know, of us that were friends and had be, been friends for years. Right. You know, it was like a safe, comfortable, still very musically challenging. And of course, you know, I got my first record deal as a result of that, traveled the world as a result of that. Again, it was one of those connections to the music, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Art Blakey, wow, this is this is good to have this endorsement is cool. And just the environment, you know, playing with James Williams and Charles Fambro and uh, Johnny O'Neill and um, this dude came up. It happened because we I sat in, you know, I was asked to sit in. James Williams saw me and, hey, where's your guitar? You know? Yeah. Oh, I live three blocks down the street. I go run and get it. Boom. Grant came, called me right up. And this other dude was there. He had a big afro. He played the trumpet. Went Marsalis. We both sat in that same. <laughs> both joined the band until I left. <laughs> that you know that same weekend or whatever. So I didn't get a lot of chance to get lessons from art. Um, but what an incredible experience and story. Yeah, I mean, even just to experience that feel, you know, like in real life, <laughs> just no. to just to the sound of the drums from him. And yeah. everybody else around him, I'm sure on the bandstand was soaking it up too. But that's something that you, you know, you can have with you forever and, and it informs your music. Um, so kind of moving along here, uh, although you came up in New York and you established yourself there and you had some incredible highlights early on in your career there, ultimately you took the journey to Chicago, one of my favorite cities in, in the United States for sure. And I, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about what prompted that move. Uh, I can imagine New York in the 80s was sort of a different place than it is now. And was there something about Chicago that was kind of drawing you there? <laughs> Sounds like you got a story or two. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like, um, I mean, you know, right? Like who moves from New York? I had a career going, right? But I think I hit a snag in my, like the first snag in my professional career. So it was like this aligning of of stars mm. that happened. Um, it was that um, kind of like, whoa, what's up? It's, I'm, not, I'm not getting any gigs. I don't have any gigs right now. And... Oh, my record is supposed to be really, my second record is supposed to be released on Arista, but it's being held. I don't understand what's happening, but something, some, some business stuff that the label is doing, uh, what, but how that's affecting me is that's all I feel like what, what's happening. 
was kind of working on and off with Sonny still. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he you know, Sonny didn't work like all the time. Right. But, so I was working with him, I think, still regularly. And we did a gig in Chicago and um, I met a girl and we, you know, kept in touch and had a long distance relationship for about a year. Meanwhile, all this stuff is still kind of eh, like, eh. it's hard. It's not exactly the way it started. Those first few years, I was auspicious. Come on. I was blessed. <laughs> all that, I'm playing with all those people and going to traveling all over the place. Yeah, living the not dream. Normal. That's not normal, right? Yeah. Okay, so I just, I heard my dad, you need to, you have something to fall back on. You know, you got to finish school. So I yeah. dropped out of school. I did two years of school. Anyway, things happened from there, but then the snag hit and it was just like, I need to, first of all, I don't understand the music business. I don't know what has happened to me in terms of having a record deal. And then now this confusion and I just don't understand the record business or not the record business, but the music business. Right. I, no, you know, anything. And I need to get my bachelor's degree anyway. And maybe while I'm doing all that, I can check out this relationship. So let me see if I can find a um, program in Chicago that'll allow me to do all of that, which I did. You know, arts, media, me, what was it? Arts, entertainment, media management. That was the program. Okay. At, uh, Columbia College in Chicago. Okay. And so I enrolled and got in and moved. What? My friends were like, what? I remember Marcus <laughs> saying, uh, is there a music scene in Chicago? And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was 22. Wow. Okay. 22, 23, maybe. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I mean that kind of twenty-two-year-old. Right, right. Still, yeah. still with uh, a lot to, lot to learn, a lot to experience, and to figure out. Yeah, like most twenty-two-year-olds, I, I think. Well, you were able to put together a fantastic career in Chicago as you're continuing to do your. Uh, I think you're currently the associate professor of jazz guitar and jazz studies. Not quite yet. I'm working on that. You're working on that. It's coming. Uh, must, I, I just got hired last year, so that would be incredible if I could do that. But, but yeah, I am on the fast track, but not that fast. Well, they better hurry it up, man, because they yeah, got they got to because it's I came in late as it is. And, yeah, they got to <laughs> hurry it up. But you're at Nor Northern Illinois University <laughs> School yeah. of Music. So uh, if there's any listeners out there in the Chicago area thinking about college, thinking about jazz guitar, jazz studies. This is a place you can go and, and study with Bobby. I'd like to take a moment to uh, feature a clip of some of your music. Uh, I've been really getting into your recordings here lately. It's been a real pleasure. I've been checking out Soul Fingers uh, yeah. from, from 2018. And man, it's just great playing all throughout this album. Soul Fingers, again, on 2018. It features uh, covers spanning classic pop and, and Motown melodies. But this is a little bit of a clip of Come Together from Bobby Broom. Come 
Yeah, man. Really, man. <laughs> Ruby. Right? Seriously, man. <laughs> Who, who's that organ player again? That guy is Ben Patterson. Slamming. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I know that. I know that name. I've maybe even met that guy at one point. Yeah, he's whew, slamming. All you guys are just crushing it on there. So I, I also want to hear a little bit about that album, but I also want to pass it off to John Story here, who I know has uh, some questions for you too, Bobby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. So great to have you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And, you know, I have to mention James Williams, actually, we have a funny connection with him in the New West guitar group. Um, before Will was in the band, Perry and I and our then members went in 2004 to North Texas to perform at the jazz festival. And James was our adjudicator. And he came up and talked to us afterwards, and he was the nicest guy. And I knew what a giant he was because um, so many recordings I had checked out of his. And I was like, man, I can't believe we're talking to him and Lynn Seaton, all of those guys. Sadly, of course, he passed that summer. And this was about 2004 from what, what I remember. And he talked to us about just how he could hear. We were so inspired by kind of like the hard bop guys and how he had never really heard that in a guitar ensemble setting. So I just had to mention that because he was really sweet and early on with the New West Guitar Group, a big influencer to us, Bobby. So it was cool to hear you mention James. Yeah, that's what I remember about him. Just the sweetest guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, but again, thanks for joining us, man. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Um, I have to give credit to a, a teacher of mine up in Oregon, Dan Fanley, who recommended I check you out um, when I was in high school. And Fanley, um, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan is amazing. And when I studied with Dan, you know, I was like, man, who are the other guys that are like modern kind of hard bop dudes around the country? It was also around the advent of the internet. And I remember and this was about 2001, 2002, getting on like Yahoo. And I found your website and I was like, wow, here's a guy out in Chicago with a big hollow body. Those are the kinds of guys I want to meet. So in Portland, there were some good record stores that had your CDs. One of them was the Generations record you did with Kenny Burrell. And I, I really wanted to talk about that because what a cool record. Had you hung a lot with Kenny leading up to that recording? No, that was another, I mean, I've got, I've, I've, and I hate to sound like this, but I really kind of should write a book because the stories are all kind of like these cosmic occurrences that lead me, uh, that have led me um, to the places that I've arrived. Um, so that's more, way more interesting than the hours, you know, thousands of hours sitting in my room practicing, right? The stories. <laughs> right. But uh, no, I, I met Kenny in, in, in Chicago. It was a magical story, and I somehow wound up getting asked to sit in, and uh, I did. And then he came back to town maybe six, nine months later. He called me, said he wanted to do a uh, three-guitar thing. And so he, he chose another guitarist from here in Chicago and myself and had a rhythm section with piano, bass, and drums. Jody Christian was on piano. I'll never forget that. And Jody Christian was a pianist with Eddie Harris and, you know, just great jazz pianist. It was a really, really fun time. And I, I, I really distinctly remembered that there was no harmonic clashing, even though we had three guitars and piano. Yeah, it was super cool. So then from there, Kenny decided that he wanted to take it a step further with this guitar trio concept. And... 
he called me and he said he was forming a band officially and he was going to call, call it the Jazz Guitar Band and he wanted me to be in it with Rodney Jones, who was my idol when I was a kid. Because yeah. you know, now I'm deep into the music, I'm deep into jazz guitar, I'm trying to figure out how to be one of them. And um, I hear about this guy who lives in the neighborhood, Rodney Jones, and he plays with Dizzy Gillespie. What? Yeah. So, you know, I followed him around. I mean, literally, he was 20 years old and I was 15. And I, I want to be one of the cats. When I grow up, I want to be one of the cats, just like you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here, you know, 10 years later, wow, that's not that long. 10 years later, we're we're playing with Kenny Burrell together, wow. and um, yeah, and that's how that happened. Um, that's cool. It's a it's a magical record. It was recorded at the Vanguard Live, and it was you know Blue Note had just gotten relaunched around that time, right? Because this is the mid '80s, late '80s. So, I mean, to be on Blue Note Records, recording at the Vanguard with Kenny Burrell, I mean, it's just to guys to guys of our generation, especially it's just so mind blowing, man. And, uh, you're right. I mean, you are one of the cats, man. I mean, it's so cool hearing you on that. I was checking out that record. I didn't even realize that the tune generation is by Lou Matthews. Who's a good friend of ours out here. Um, of course I know he's in Michigan now, um, and retired, but anyway, that, that was a very influential record to me early on. And, uh, we had the opportunity to talk to Rodney about it a little bit too. And he had a lot of good stuff to say about you man on that recording as well and the story about kenny just that night being it was really loose and it wasn't like a an issue of people trying to outplay one another and that's something in a guitar ensemble i mean that was with a rhythm section we play just with three just ourselves without a rhythm section and having that equity in the group and really listening um and you know in in a jazz setting it's it's rare it doesn't happen a lot you know so it's cool to check out records like this where there's multiple guitar players playing together because you guys blend really well on the record too you know so too i mean isn't that what music is about and jazz particularly isn't mm -hmm. that what it's about like equity and democracy and all of those platitudes that the government True. tries to adhere to but i think we got it better we got it we got it right uh at our best we get it right um that's the way I always heard it when I was uh, listening uh, to the records. That's the way I heard it. Um, I didn't hear people trying to outdo one another. That didn't come across. So I think my orientation and my vantage point has always been that. And uh, I know it's, I imagine it's different now. I think it's different now from what I see. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with, you know, how the music is, uh, uh, you know, how we view the music, how we get the music now and how the music is promoted and presented. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Up in that tangent. Well, no. And, and one last thing I did before I pass it to, well, you know, we also in new West, we kind of got to thank you, Bobby, cause you were one of the early players that 
got in touch with Bud Henriksen back, I was reading back in about 2008, and really encouraged him to develop his amps. And those amps have been so important to us because as a guitar trio, I mean, trying to find three guitar amps in every city we go to is impossible. So we travel with Buds and Blues, and and Peter has carried on that company and done so much for players like us. I mean, it's so cool that he's dedicated a whole business around people like us who are, you know, we're not the rock stars they put on the Fender catalogs and stuff. So it's really cool. I'm just curious when you encountered that amp, um, did you just stumble across this and then want to help him kind of develop it a little bit? Were you looking for an amp to travel with? I was just curious how you kind of got to working with Bud around that time. I'm trying to remember how I became aware of Henriksen. I know that I was looking for uh, uh, an amp to travel with. You know, I spent the whole 80s into the 90s getting crappy Fender Twins. (laughs) (laughs) So I grew to hate tube amps because of that. I know there's all those years until, um, you know, I played a really good, whatever it was, 53 tweed that this engineer, I was recording a record and he's, oh, you got to try this amp. And I was like, I set my solid state up next to it. And I'm like, sure. Okay, man, fine. You know, whatever. Let me appease this dude plugged in play. We're recording with this amp, you know? So I learned that, you know, the right tube amp, uh, I like. Anyway, I was about to buy one. And then I did a, uh, the a show uh, with Peter uh, Henriksen. And he says, oh, yeah, we got a new amp. I'm like, another one? He's like, yeah, this one has a tube in it. And you should check it out, you know, play through it this weekend. And I was like, man, forget that Fender. (laughs) I just remember calling Bud up. And um, because I was in... I, I was in need of a, um, a tr- an amp that I could travel with that would give me the, um, the output that I needed and allow me to carry my sound with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to put it in an SKB case and be done. Yeah. And um, I heard about them. I called him up. He was super nice. And he sent me a couple of heads and that was it. Cool. Chris- history yeah peter has done man incredible yeah yeah and again you know we give a big shout out to peter but also i just wanted to extend my thanks to you man because without you and the players early on encouraging those guys to do it maybe they would have just kind of this would have just been a project they did in their garage i wish we could have met bud i've heard really wonderful things about him that he was a really great guy so yeah yeah, he was. And that's cool that, you know, I didn't know that, you know, that it's perceived that the way that you explained it. That's cool. Yeah, man. Well, I'd love to pass it over to Will. Thank you for joining us for High Action. It means the world to us, Bobby, and that you join us today. Bobby, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going. I'm good. Man, what a what a pleasure to get to hear your insight. And you covered so much in the first half. I, I hope you'll indulge me in, in just talking about your connection with Archtop Guitars and and you know the 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 way that the literal physical aspect of those guitars affect your playing and your music and like you know we talk about this a lot in in the trio it's like it it brings out a swing just like the arch top the resistance like can can you just talk about you know and i know you play um cane top guitars which are amazing and if you don't mind indulging me in my uh guitar nerd question yeah <laughs> um it's just something that um, I've always felt 
uh, an affinity for that hollow body guitar. Um, of course, I didn't start off that way. I had solid body guitars in the beginning, but as soon as I uh, understood or you know that I wanted to be a jazz player and I had my uh, models for that, um, the sound was inherent in the guitar. I mean, you know, everybody had their own sound mm -hmm. character, but the type of guitar sound that I wanted was contained in that hollow body. And so uh, I went out and got, I traded in my Les Paul um, and trade and got a, 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 an Ibanez lawsuit L5 copy with two <laughs> built-in pickups. The guitar was nice. At some, you know, at, so at some point early on, I was getting guitars from Yamaha and they sounded good to me. I mean, I, they sounded good to me. Mm -hmm. It was like I didn't want for any other type of guitar until around 2000, I started to feel like, yeah, you know, there's some qualities in these floating pickup guitars that I kind of want to kind of want that. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I, one thing led to another and I got in touch with Hoffner, Hifner, and um, <laughs> it was like the perfect storm. They were looking to promote their instruments in the States and, you know, I, I had some records coming out. They could, you know, do so. It was perfect, and um, and then I just kind of grad. I wanted more after 15, 15 years of of the Hoffner. I wanted more, and uh, started like so. It's been that kind of uh, journey. I think I'm done now with uh, with Danny Kane Top. I mean, that's, yeah, man. When I hear that guitar, it's like, mm -hmm, that's about it right there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, you can get warmth and, and, and stuff from other guitars, from solid body guitars. I never forget being uh, in Berkeley. I think I was still at Berkeley and I saw Mike Stern play. I went yeah. to play and he was playing a, a uh, Telecaster. Mm-hmm thing sounded like i'm like dang you can make that sound like <laughs> guitar huh mm, okay but for me it's always been something about guitar to amp mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i want it to speed i want it to sound like that and then from there then we can i i need to put something in it it's gotta i guess my fingers have it but in the beginning they didn't not to my ears it was like ew you know, kind of cringeworthy to hear myself play any guitar. <laughs> Man, I, I I love hearing you playing in a, I'm thinking especially of the Monk album, um, you know, like you, you're playing with a lot of dynamics and I can hear, I can hear you like acoustically digging into the guitar and translating that through the amp. So when you're when you're in the shed, do you do you shed with the amp, or are you shedding kind of just you and the guitar first, and then you're trying to get that same feeling to pass through the amp? Yeah, it, it's it's uh, interesting that you say about the acoustic quality because I hear people say that people have said that a lot to me about you know, like especially when we're not playing loud in the trio, and they mm -hmm. can hear, yeah, you know, I can hear the guitar, you know, like really. I can't. <laughs> I hear the amp, but whatever, you know. So it, I, 
I don't necessarily calculate or think about um, about it when I'm practicing. Like I have a little a little bud here under my desk, and so if I'm practicing and I really want to hear myself, then I'll turn it on. But uh, you know, that's the beauty of having a a, a quality uh, arch top is that playing it acoustically is just just joyful. So you just sometimes just and I've made some YouTube videos. People probably like, oh God, would you put an amp on the thing? But you know, I'd just be sitting there at night playing and like, oh, I should record this. And and it's like no amp. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a special connection with a hollow body, like just just playing it. I mean, it, it changes the way you play. It makes you, you know, acoustic playing versus electric ensemble playing. It's 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 practically a different instrument, you know. Yeah, you know, when you have to turn the amp on, you have to turn the amp on then to hear the character of the notes, right? Uh, how you affect that and all of that. But when you are playing an arch top, you're getting that from the guitar. You know, you don't need to, it, it doesn't need to be amplified to for you to understand that and navigate and negotiate that. So then when you turn the amp on, that's what's going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me. Yeah worse. <laughs> I have uh, one more question for you. I, I really enjoyed hearing all your insight on, you seem to be very mindful in, in your decisions at, and at a young age too. Like even you're talking about your early twenties. I'm like, man, these are things you could be thinking about in your like mid thirties, you know? Um, what, what are some things that, that you would tell, you know, younger generations of, of jazz guitarists or, or jazz musicians Dealing in today's age, in, to, in today's year of of this major shift of all kinds of things, to to stay rooted in music um, and and yet probably to adapt in ways. I'm curious what your insight on that is. Well, you said it. Ultimately, all of this, none of this makes sense. Being a jazz guitar player, like what? What is that? I remember. <laughs> was on the phone with Schofield one time and he said, what is this? I'm like, what is what? What is this jazz guitar? What are we doing? I'm like, I don't know. We, <laughs> laugh. <laughs> we, we both laughed, but neither one of us stopped, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Like there's no, if you do this, you do this and you do this, then it's going to equal that. You know, it's not like actuary science where when you get out of college, you got a job, you know, it's it's left up to something that we don't really control. Even if, well, maybe some of us, if, if we're, you know, that dogged about how we practice and then we go to the bandstand and we play that. Okay. I don't know how that factors into the musicians around us, or maybe we're playing solo. I don't know, but it's never been like that for me. It's always been like a little bit of um, grace involved in mm -hmm. the uh, every situation. So I just say that as soon as you can allow for that, um, the sooner the better. Again, it doesn't, I mean, this is not, advice because I'm not giving you tips on how to do something and, and, you know, actuate success or actuate income, you know, mm -hmm. uh, perseverance, um, playing with people that are better than you, if they allow you to, you know, I always felt like I was the 
probably one of the saddest ones in my group of guys that I would hang out with in New York. But they had let me play. You know, they asked me to be around. So I was like, okay, cool. Figure this yeah. out and get better, you know. So all of that, um, finding joy in making music. Like, if you don't have that, then what is the purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those are all intangibles, though. So, you know, I don't know. That's personal work. It's just Man, it's the X factor. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But then the other part, like in terms of the pandemic and everything, yeah, I mean, part of just growth in general is about adaptation and expansion. You know, you can't sit still. You can't live in the past. You can't dream too much into it. You know, we have to be in the now. We kind of have to be massaging all sides and working all sides and all those angles to to just flow and move forward. So, um, well, man, thanks for leading, you know, leading by example. And I mean, always great hearing your playing. And uh, speaking of that, is it okay if we play another recording of yours? Most definitely. Nice. Okay. So this is my shining hour. Music is those lines. Not like really about guitar. Yeah, you know, it just happens to be a guitar, but it's, mm-hmm. that's how it strikes me because it's it's like you're not playing that stuff, you know, that guitar stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, wait, can you give that to us one more time for? for yeah, yeah, right. That was very academic. I love it. <laughs> you know, but that's. That's what it's about, right? It's like what you said earlier, you know, like it's probably just got fired. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things I'm I'm definitely going to take away from this, it's just so it's, a, it's such a great reminder to always be hearing, you know, from the well, from cats like you, like it's not about outplaying people, it's not about having them as much as you can possibly get together under your fingers, like it's about the spirit. It's about the tradition. It's about playing with the people around you and really connecting, getting into the melody and, and the harmony and the rhythm, of course, of of this music. And and uh, you know, Bobby, you're such a heavy cat, man. You're such a deep cat. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us. For the listeners, where can they kind of check out and stay up to date with the going ons in in your career, Bobby? Um, BobbyBroom.com, and then um, the Facebook page which is uh www.facebook.com slash bobby brooms page all right well thank you for joining us on high action you're the man and we hope once we get through this pandemic we will see you on the other side in real life and make you some will. music together one day that would be I look terrific forward to it i look forward to it thank you guys all yeah right. bobby all right take all care right. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash Group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.